Daniel 6, 1 through 23. Reading out of the New Living Translation, Darius the Mede decided to divide his kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. This sounds strangely modern, doesn't it? But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. Man, I wish that sounded modern. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We are all in agreement, we administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that for the next 30 days, <coughs> pardon me, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed, an official law of the Medes and the Persians that cannot be revoked. <coughs> Pardon me. So King Darius signed the law. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It is an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you in your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. And the king said to him, May your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. 
Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? And then Daniel answered, Long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, O majesty. The king was overjoyed and ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, be with us this day. Be with your children and with all of those that you have created in the path of the hurricane this morning. But Lord, in this place, let the breeze of the Spirit of your Holy Spirit blow within us and among us. Bring to us, Lord, the message and the grace that we need from you this day. In your name we pray. Amen. Daniel, alone in the dark. Now, some of you might be thinking, didn't we just do some a story kind of like this about two, three weeks ago? Weren't we talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they got in trouble. This is even in the same book in the Bible. They got in trouble with the king. At that time, it was Nebuchadnezzar, and they were thrown into the fiery furnace, but they came out because God delivered them because they were faithful. Didn't we talk about that great confession of faith they made that said, we know that God will save us, but even if he does not, we will still not bow down, O king. Well, yes, there are a lot of similarities here, but there are some things that are different. Um, first of all, we do have uh, different kings here. This is in the same book, but you start off with Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, then Belshazzar, the co-region of Babylon, and then Babylon falls to the Medes and the Persians. If you remember, you had the writing on the wall, many men will tackle you parson, divided, divided, and conquered and plundered, I believe that was, and it was given to the Persians. Then so you go on to King Darius of Persia and eventually King Cyrus of Persia. This is King Darius. We think he might have been an underking, kind of like Belshazzar was an underking, a co-regent of Babylon. King Darius, though, was the one that found himself very reliant on this man, Daniel, but very susceptible to being manipulated by politics. It's I guess in a strange way, in the misery loves company way, it's comforting to know that politics have always given us trouble, isn't it? Things have not changed in thousands of years. There was a law, if it was signed, if it was made official by the Medes and the Persians ratified in this way, not even the king or the under king could revoke it. And Darius was tricked by political opportunists who were saying, you know, this Daniel guy is making us look bad. We need to get rid of him. 
And back then they didn't just, you know, get them out of politics. They got them out of this world. They said, okay, we're going to find a way to have him killed. The only way, the only vulnerability he has is his religious observance. Now, there are a lot of things that are of interest here. Did you notice that whenever he prayed, he turned toward Jerusalem and prayed three times a day? That might remind you of some of the Muslim practices. They started off praying toward Jerusalem, then wound up praying toward Mecca. There are pieces of the Bible that they have taken and repurposed, but this was Daniel's practice. Praying toward Jerusalem three times a day, he was very faithful in this. And he was set up. But here's the thing that got me when I was considering this week and different, <laughs> different God incidences kept happening. That image of Daniel alone in the dark with the lions and its similarity to other biblical images and their collective similarity to something which is an issue today for many, which is depression. Now, you think maybe we're reaching, but I'll get around to that. I do want to say before explaining further that there are sometimes, well, not with a group of lines, but there are sometimes I kind of wish I could hide, find a nice dark place when you have two hurricanes coming, nuclear Korea north, and 8.1 earthquake with 95 dead in Mexico. And Scripture does talk about people hiding in caves, but this is when they're looking for safety. But in the images that we're going to refer to today, the cave is often depicted as a trap. And not just the cave, the place of darkness, this place of isolation, this place where the person is alone with their grief or their anxiety and crying out to God. And we have a number of biblical images. Here are just a few of them. Uh, remember this prophet named Jonah. We always say Jonah and the whale, but this was Jonah and a large fish. You remember the story? You need to go to Nineveh. No, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'll preach to them and you will save them. I'd rather them be destroyed. So he runs from God. The winds kick up. There is a bad storm on the lake. And he says, you got to throw me overboard. He's thrown over the ship into the water, is swallowed by the fish, and is in the fish for days. This imagery being one of death, but also one of isolation, of being alone, of being... <sighs> you ever been in a situation where you not only just felt alone, but you just really didn't want to be with yourself? Even after he was delivered from the fish who went and prophesied to Nineveh, they went ahead and repented. We find him eventually under a bush, down in the dumps. I knew you were going to save them. And he didn't seem to learn much. How about Elijah in that cave? 
After that great victory calling fire down on Mount Carmel, but then he ran to the cave when he heard that the king and queen are after your life. And he runs into this cave and hides. And God brings these signs and wonders, but it's not the signs and wonders in which he speaks. It is in that still small voice that Elijah is able to hear. But after all of these This is the one that gets me the most whenever I think of something that is a difficult struggle for so many that I have known. You remember a certain man, Jesus of Nazareth, in the Garden of Gethsemane? Remember that phrase that he used, My soul is weary even unto death. That is such a description of where a lot of people are right now. And this was reinforced this week. I was driving up 27. I passed one church sign, and I think they were trying to be humorous. The sign read something like this, Don't worry, Moses himself was a basket case. I said, oh, that's cute. Okay. The next one I drove past, just right in line with it, was saying, come to our service about depression and our groups will be meeting afterwards. I got a text from Chris this week because I've been talking to him about his generation and how I can understand them better. And he said, if you really want to understand our generation talking about his, you need to listen to this that was done on the MTV's uh, Video Music Awards, whatever it was. It's a hip-hop Artist Logic, the title of the song is 1-800-273-8255. That is the suicide hotline number. And while they performed that, according to the article that I read, a lot of these kids in the audience were crying through the performance. How many times is that seen on MTV? Leading cause of death. 15 to 34 year olds, the first accidental death, the second is suicide, second leading cause of death. I I didn't know if I was going to do this. Um, If you, let's just do it all in one go. If you have had someone in your immediate or extended family who either attempted or was successful in suicide, or a close friend, raise your hand. Keep them up. If you have someone that you know who is a friend, close family member, or you yourself have struggled with depression, raise your hand. Add them to the list. Anyone else? Put them down. I had two first cousins who were no longer with us. For that reason, I don't think that I'm overextending this imagery because I want you to remember this about the book of Daniel. This was written to, for, and by, through God's inspiration, a people that were in captivity. What is the most mournful book? of the Bible. Anybody got an idea? It's in the name. Lamentations, laments, songs of anguish. 
They asked us to sing songs, but how can we sing now that we are so far from our home? This was also written by the people that were in exile. And here's the thing, never underestimate the cleverness of God and of Scripture and of the writers as well. Because when we are looking at this story of Daniel, there are a lot of things hidden in there. I mean, there's the imagery of the stone closing over the tomb. And we, as Christians, read that into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. You have the lions surrounding Daniel, and in so much of the Psalms, enemies are discussed as the lions that will surround you, and God is pleaded with, please save me from the mouth of the lions. But also, I found it very interesting that while one of these two men, the one on the left being Daniel, the one on the right being Darius, both of them... Actually, we don't know. Daniel might have slept very well while Darius stayed awake all night. There are two here that were in a difficult place. And that is pretty much the complexity of life right there. The person who has nothing in the worst situation, depending upon his God, and we believe, at least from the context, finding peace in that moment, while the one who is supposedly have all authority and power in the land has been maneuvered into a position where he has put his friend at risk and he is staying awake all night. And who does he have to pray to? Himself? What can he do? Look how powerless he is. See, this is something that people have dealt with over and over through the years and we have done different ways we have tried. We have tried denial, we have tried prescriptions, and a lot of things that we do, we've tried diversions. Lori and I, and Karen and Kimian, one of uh, Karen's girlfriends, went up to uh, Pigeon Mountain this week. And we went up to the Overlook, which is also the hang gliding takeoff point, which, oh yeah, we're so going to do hang gliding soon. Um <sighs> Can y'all imagine, first of all, what kind of hang glider would hold me up? Second of all, I'd probably slip. Third of all, can you imagine the kind of hole I'd make when I'd hit? It's just not good. Beautiful scenery. But I remember um, a really good friend of mine. He's still around, but uh, we almost lost him because he was a teenager. I love you guys. You're crazy sometimes. You know that, right? He crawled out on the edge of the rock on the side of the mountain where generation after generation people accidentally fell off. Andy, get over here. I wouldn't even get within 10 feet of the edge. You had friends like that, didn't you? No? You were a good... I didn't ask, were you doing it? Oh, you didn't have friends like that. You were the one doing it. No, I didn't have crazy friends. That means you were the crazy friend, okay? Just saying. Uh, why did someone do that? Well, just to prove to themselves how unafraid they were. Why do you try to prove how unafraid you are? Because you are afraid. Yeah, we're in a mess, aren't we? I find it greatly encouraging, though, that Scripture and even Christ himself did not shy away 
from confessing, my soul is weary even unto death. Now, here's the thing. Okay, it's great. We know that Scripture is reflecting where we are. But what is the advice? What is the prescription? Now, here's where it gets overly simple and complicated at the same time. And I do not want anyone to think that I am just saying, well, this is all that you do, because honestly, we know more about it than we used to know. And if you need to see the doctor, if you need to see the therapist, then get there. Okay? If you need to tell friends and share with them what's going on, lean upon them, because we are meant to not be alone. We are meant to support one another as friends and as family But there is something that was happening in that picture, in that difference between Daniel and Darius that we cannot leave out, and I'm afraid that we are in danger of leaving out in our rapidly secularizing culture. Over the years, we have been told, trust God. And it's like, well, yeah, I know to trust God, but that doesn't help. I still feel like this. But here's the thing. Hmm. Trust God. Is it that? It can't be that simple. Unpack it. Saying that you have to trust in God, and that is what Scripture is saying over and over, the struggle that people have to trust in God. The steps you have to take include these. First of all, you have to believe that there is a God to trust. And this world has been trying to hammer us and say, no, there isn't, no, there isn't, no, there isn't. And the consequences of that is this feeling of abandonment that so many people are having. Second, you have to believe that God is aware of you and cares about you. What good does it do to trust in a God who has no care, no concern, no compassion, no feeling? Third, since you believe that He is there and He cares about you, that is where you can find your purpose and meaning for the event that you are going through right now. And fourth, and maybe this is the trickiest, you have to remind yourself and believe that He will bring light into the darkness either for you or through you. And that is the hard part. Because when it says God will work all things according to uh, all things to the good of those who love Him according to His purpose, when it says that there is a collective you in there, because His very Son in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, "If it is within Thy will, let this cup pass from me," still He had to drink it in full. Why? Because of the light that God was going to bring through him. And that's one of the hardest things sometimes for us to acknowledge that sometimes the things that we go through that are so difficult, where we seem alone, where we seem isolated, and we never can see a way out, that there may be a reason beyond us that we are going through it. Conversely, If you've ever gone through a really rough time and you know the reason, it makes it a lot easier to go through it, doesn't it? How many of you like going through surgery? Raise your hand. Good. I was going to advise you to go to a therapist if any hands were raised. How many of you would gladly go through a surgery if it meant saving the life of your child? Raise your hand. 
It changes it, doesn't it? Some of you are saying, well, let me think about this. Yeah, I would. It changes it when you know the reason. Now, the hardest thing about this trusting in God bit is that we don't always know the reason. But the entirety of Scripture in one sense is this constant call from the very beginning to the very end. Trust in God. Trust in God. Trust in Him and what He says and what He will do, even if you don't see it. Trust in Him even in the midst of the darkness. Trust in Him. And in the fullness of God's revelation, which was in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we find that we can only trust in God even for our salvation, that we cannot trust in ourselves. Here, here's the thing. In our modern Western world, everybody seems to be living with this, I can't use any words but this, this existential angst, this, what does it mean? Why am I here? How long do I have? Is there a point? Is there a purpose? Is there a meaning? I'm so small. What can I do? I want it all, but I'll never have it all. I've got it all, but now I'm still not happy. There seems to be such anguish for some reason in this modern age, and I think the reason is we were never meant to think we are alone. I've heard Christians so many times say, I don't know how people who don't believe in God handle it. The answer is pray for them because they're not. Even those of us who do believe in God, many of us are having a hard time handling it because over and over and over and over again we are hearing messages of it's pointless, it's meaningless, it doesn't matter. But I want you to know, again, don't misunderstand me, this isn't a just do this and throw away the meds. It it doesn't mean that at all. Those compounds are very helpful and... I'll just go ahead and say it. It's, it's rambling, and I'm sorry today. It's been kind of a blustery day in my head, too. But what those medications often do is help you not think in the same well-worn path. Um, any of you ever have a, a little fenced-in area where you have dogs or maybe horses, and you see after a few years they have paths that they wear? And for some reason they just seem to walk in those paths. Get on Google Earth, you can see their little paths now. It's amazing. In our minds, we can do the same things. That's why the Bible encourages us, I believe, not to fall into habitual sin or habitual negative ways of thinking or that are destructive because the things that you think often are the things that are easiest to think again. The places your heart and mind go are the places it's so easy to go again. And a lot of what these medicines do is help you go in a different direction and make new paths that you can walk down. They're vitally important. But here's the thing. People have to have purpose and meaning in their lives. We have to be able to say, I am here for a reason. And historically, it has been our understanding of the God who is real and the God who is there that has given us our first confidence in the fact that there is a purpose while we are searching it out. 
So I just want to add these reminders. And please, if you know someone that's struggling, help them, not in just the, well, you just trust God. Unpack this for them. Help them meditate over the fact that God is real. He is here. He is aware of you and of the pain that you are going through. He understands it experientially because He has lived it. He cares deeply for you. He loves you. And your life finds its meaning in Him. And that in offering all that you are to Him, you're offering not just the good but the bad, and He takes that darkness and shines light through it. He will bring light into the darkness, either for you or through you, and thankfully, most often, both. But even if He doesn't, bring it to me. I trust that He will shine it through me, and one day I will get it. I will understand, because I trust Him. And because of that, I can let my fear of this darkness go because I know I'm not alone in it. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to a known God. This week, so much has happened in the last several weeks. So many things on the world stage and also so many things in people's lives. Job loss, illness, grief. Be in prayer for one another. Reach out to those that you know are struggling and remind them that they have a point. They have a purpose. They have a reason and that God is with them. And that even if they feel like they are in the middle of the den and the lions are circling, they're not alone. 